0: This Sunday edition of the Downtown Basketball Podcast is brought to you by Jay Cole for Your Eyes Only, a Dreamville film. The Grammy-nominated hip-hop star's second HBO special, which debuts Saturday, April 15th at 10 p.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific. This exclusive presentation is a multi-narrative show that combines music performances with intimate interviews documented through Cole's Lens. The special showcases songs from his fourth album, as well as revealing footage containing the heartfelt confessions, concerns, and struggles of people in the South. Traveling through different cities, gathering interviews, Cole reveals the challenges lower-income residents face trying to obtain viable housing, as well as the frustration for felons being barred from voting. Tune in Saturday, April 15th, 10 p.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific, for the premiere of J. Cole, For Your Eyes Only, a Dreamville film exclusively on H. All right, Sunday edition here. We got a big show coming up as the playoff picture continues to evolve. Just two fantastic games today that we have to talk about. Russell Westbrook with that crazy buzzer beater ending the Nuggets playoff hopes and setting the record for most triple doubles in a season with 42. And then Atlanta coming back from 26 down to force overtime and eventually win against Cleveland. We got to wrap up where the playoff picture stands after the weekend's action. Also want to talk a little bit about Dave Muller's 59 point performance against the Jazz last night, which is one of the great performances that I've seen in person up in Portland. Before we get started on that, though, I want to remind you that we are sponsored today by Blue Apron. Use the URL blueapron.com slash capspace to get your first three meals free. And Indochino, use that capspace code to get any premium made-to-measure suit for just $389 with free shipping. All right, what a day of games this was, Danny. Really, one of more enjoyable days that we've had in quite some time three games that went down to the wire including uh, the Lakers winning their fourth straight and uh killing our under on their their over under in the process after we said we both had that locked up uh last week when, when we did that but uh, I think we should start first with just where the playoff picture is uh, after some of these games uh in the Eastern Conference. Toronto was down three at halftime, came back to win 110-97, overcoming Willie Hernan Gomez's 20 points in the first half against New York. So the Raptors have won the Wizards did not play. They are now locked into the fourth seed. What were some of the other significant results that we had today?
1: Atlanta over Cleveland, you already talked about that that basically moves them kind of into a separate group, probably with the five and six seeds, them and the, and the bucks, which we still have plenty of drama there. And then really the rest of the East kind of the bottom part of it stayed pretty quiet today, but it's unusual in a way that basically almost all of the East playoff teams that still have something to play for have games on Monday. So, we're going to see a lot of movement and a lot of things change and also the big story of the weekend is also that the west is pretty much set now
0: yeah in the east saturday's action saw the nets beat the bulls 107 106 uh i think they came back from down nine with about four minutes left the nets uh and The Lakers both really on hot streaks right now. Uh, amazingly, the Celtics uh, got a big win in Charlotte over the Hornets, officially elim- eliminating them. Paul George continued a recent hot streak as the Pacers down to the Magic. I sound like what, one of those old like sports radio announcers, like scores on uh 20 and 40 past the hour, but it, all this is important just to catch you up on, on kind of where we are and what the significant results were. Uh, the Magic uh, continue to uh not impress, shall we say, and then the Bucks clinched a playoff berth with a 90-82 victory over the Sixers, and the Heat kept their hopes alive via a 106-103 win in Washington. Uh, James Johnson was key at at the end of that game, and then Hassan Whiteside blocked Bradley Beal's three-pointer to tie it late. Uh, That's one of the losses that locked the Wizards into the fourth seed now with 48 wins or two games behind Toronto. The Clippers in San Antonio, even though the Spurs played most of their guys, had another nice win. The, The Clippers have dominated the Spurs in San Antonio this year. They had a big win over them early, and that combined with the Jazz losing 101 86 a game that i was at that saw dame lillard score 59 points he had two free throws uh three free throws at the end missed two of them he could have gotten 60 uh right at the end there if he hadn't missed those two uh but so with that all being the case now what is it looking like uh in the west going forward so
1: we know all four playoff matchups it's going to be the warriors against the blazers the spurs against the grizzlies the rockets against the thunder and then the jazz against the Cleveland. Clippers. And the only thing we do not know is who will be hosting that Jazz Clippers series. The Clippers have the tiebreaker and they have even records right now. So the Clippers have to be the favorite. I would say they also have a substantially easier schedule, especially now that the the reporting that the Jazz are going to have some of their good players out against the Warriors at Oracle on Monday. But so the Clippers have Houston and Sacramento, both in LA and the Jazz have the Warriors, as I mentioned at Oracle, and then they host the Spurs on the last day of the season.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether the Spurs play their guys. Pop said that they will be playing everyone in Portland, a game that now means nothing for either team with the Nuggets lost today. Uh, On Monday, uh, we'll see what happens there. Danny Green has been out for a time with a quad injury. He'll be back. Uh, Spurs are not really playing well lately, and I think that might be of some concern to Popovich that he wants to get them kind of back into things. Uh, but yeah, whether they'll play those guys, their guys in that game in Utah, we don't really know. And Utah may even rest their guys too, because as you mentioned, Derek favors and Rodney hood, both of whom played Saturday will be resting against the warriors who will have their full complement most likely tomorrow night. And, uh, George Hill, and Gordon Hayward are both uh, potential to play. I think they're both questionable. Hill had missed his sixth straight game with a groin strain. We saw him warm up before the game was only really going about 60, 65% speed there. And then Neto also is out. He played a great game uh, when he was in there against the Blazers and then suffered a really severely sprained ankle. I would imagine he's going to be out you know, probably through at least like 2 weeks or so cuz that was an ugly sprained ankle that, that he had so with the jazz being undermanned uh, I, and this will now be the if there were to be a preview of that jazz warrior series we'll have not seen the jazz at full strength in any of the games this season so you have to imagine the clippers really or would have to go 0 and 2 uh for the jazz to have a shot they're not going to win against the warriors tomorrow very likely uh so it's looking very very i mean i would say probably at least a 90 percent chance for the Clippers uh and, and one win by them will really wrap it up and they got the Kings on Wednesday. So uh it's looking good for them and we'll have the whole West bracket. Do
1: you want me to take an attempt at explaining where things are in the East?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Uh that's a little more complicated.
1: It's it is a lot more complicated. So, we know we know 6 of the teams, the Cavs, Celtics, Raptors, Wizards, Hawks, and Bucks are all in. That we know. That's about all we know. And the Wizards are the four seed. They're the only set seed in the entire East playoffs right now with 3 days left in the season. With their loss today, the Cavs and Celtics are tied in terms of record, but Cleveland holds the tiebreaker there. They each have 2 games remaining, so basically Boston has to finish better than Cleveland to get the one seed. On Monday, Cleveland plays at Miami and the Celtics host brooklyn and then on wednesday they're each at home Cavs against the raptors and the celtics host the bucks a a rematch of of an interesting game you and i watched a couple weeks ago boston has an easier schedule i think a lot of this is going to come down to what happens in the cleveland miami game on monday which i'm going to watch intently probably from oracle before the start of that game that's really there still is a chance that toronto who does not play until wednesday could make their way into the two seed it depends on a couple of the ways the ways like basically teams would have to lose out and tiebreakers and all that sort of stuff but they're probably going to be the three then on the bottom half I'm not even going to go through the let's let's finish up finish up
0: with one thing on on the top uh and Cleveland LeBron played 44 minutes in regulation Kyrie Irving was over 40 minutes in regulation as well in that loss they're going to be on the second end of a back-to-back but you know they may not want to play Miami uh or maybe they do and they uh we haven't heard anything about resting yet Ty Lue said he's gonna play his guys until the number one seed is wrapped up so we wouldn't hear anything about resting probably until Lue's media availability tomorrow because they are not gonna have a shooter on or anything like that uh but I mean, I think the Cavs are probably going to try and still go for the number one seed to have home court over the Celtics. That's Lou said it was a priority. And, and Miami, if they lose that game to the Cavs at home, they're almost certainly done. Uh, and so that's going to just be a massive, massive game. And then the other intrigue is that Cavs-Toronto game because there could be a situation where if the Cavs win, they could get the number one seed over Boston. And so Toronto, if if they don't have a chance at the two, which they would obviously fight for, but if they don't have a chance for the two, they might say, hey, we're going to be the three. We don't want the Cavs on our side of the bracket. Let's just lay down completely, let Cleveland get the number one seed, and then we uh, will get to play Boston in the second round instead. So there's going to be a lot of intrigue uh, among those top three teams in the east how does it look now down at the bottom
1: at the bottom you have based on their shocking win today, the Hawks took a lead on all of the other teams for, for the five spot. They're 42 and 38. I'll just do it in the win column. They have 42 wins. The Bucks have 41. The Pacers have 40. And then the Bulls and Heat are at 39 each. And the and Chicago has that tiebreaker should it be one to one over Miami. Part of the reason I didn't want to go into tiebreakers is that when you get into multi-team ones, it starts to change around the order. And so we'll know a lot more since almost all these teams, except for at Atlanta. all of the other teams play monday wednesday we'll have a very good idea on monday night slash tuesday morning of where this is all going but right now there are just so many options based on all these teams sliding on monday for us to know exactly where it's going to turn out
0: yeah i think that the heat albert namad tweeted out just what their specific scenarios are basically they would have to win one more game than either indiana or chicago to make it in. uh and whether that's them winning twice, I mean, I mean, or the Bulls or Pacers losing twice and Miami losing once. Miami finishes up against a Washington team at home that'll have absolutely nothing to play for other than just getting 50 wins in the final game. Uh, the Bulls, they play Orlando at home tomorrow, which you would look, think is an automatic win, but it is the Bulls. Dwayne Wade came back, did not look very good, certainly defensively, uh, was better, better on offense in his uh, return from that fractured elbow against Brooklyn. And then the Bulls finish up then with Brooklyn at home again. So in theory, an easy schedule for the Bulls. Uh, And then the Pacers are at Philly on Monday and then have Atlanta at home. Uh, That Atlanta game, Atlanta will have something to play for. Uh, Although, again, there could be a little bit of jockeying on their side as well. I mean, maybe do they like the Wizards better as a first-round opponent? They're not going to have home court either way. Do they want to avoid the Cavs, which I certainly think they do. They might feel like they have a decent amount of confidence against Boston, whom they beat last year, Uh, or against the raptors uh who, who they've played well against at, at times in the past so that'll be really interesting as well of where uh, the hawks want to be and then you mentioned that uh boston milwaukee game on the last day of the season the bucks play at home against charlotte in a game where charlotte of course will again have no incentive to win so yeah as you mentioned a lot fluid it should come into a lot more focus tomorrow and i guess we'll probably have to even though we're going to be at oracle have to do a wrap-up of all those games uh so <laughs> looking looking like a late night for for, uh, the dunk down boys tomorrow night
1: one other team that just has a, a large import over the next couple days charlotte does not play in the last game of the season but in the next two days can have a major impact on the on the playoff market if they want to because they face milwaukee and atlanta in a back-to-back so if they win one of those two games it could completely swing the, the bottom half of the east i don't think they will but they could <laughs>
0: yeah you would certainly think that uh they would just be resting kemba walker at that point uh all right let's uh get into a wrap up of this amazing russell westbrook game But, but first from this from blue apron we were both in portland all week i certainly missed blue apron i'm sure that you did as well and it's a shame that we did because we could have had spiced cod tacos with mashed avocado and a romaine peanut salad. That, that sounds like it would have been fantastic. Uh, or lemongrass and ginger turkey burgers with marinated radishes and roasted sweet potatoes. If you don't know what Blue Apron is, it is a food delivery service that pre-portions out Every ingredient perfectly, only as much as you need to cook, so there's no food waste. That's also how they help to keep the cost down. It's less than ten dollars per meal per person, as well. Which really, if you think about, it, if you're going to a high-end grocery store, especially when you consider that you're gonna end up buying more food than you need of some ingredients, you're probably gonna spend more than that, and you're gonna spend a bunch of time shopping for the ingredients. Blue Apron just it shows up on your door with free shipping once a week. So the way to get started with Blue Apron, go to blueapron.com capspace. That is a custom URL for our program. That'll get you your first three meals free with free shipping at that slash capspace URL, which is, of course, easy to remember because we talk about capspace all the time on the program. Blueapron.com capspace for the first three meals free. And of course, let them know that you came from us. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So this game was totally ridiculous. Denver didn't have much in the way of playoff chances after Portland won on Saturday night. They were down, I think, to you know below 5% chances they would have had to win out and have Portland lose out at that point. And, and Portland did have a game at home against New Orleans on the final Wednesday of the season, which uh, you know New Orleans isn't trying too hard at, at this point. Uh, but this was yet another example of Russell Westbrook completely... I mean, he's had six, seven, eight games like this. You know, I don't know how many, but uh, in the final 4-30, when OKC trailed by 13, they outscored Denver 18-4. to Westbrook had 15 points, and he also assisted on a Samaje Kristen 3, which uh, allowed him to get the triple-double and set the record. How is he doing it when, I mean, everyone should know it's coming at this point that he's just going to shoot every time down five minutes.
1: Remember that he had, he had a couple of good passes in this game. He had an assist, which got credited, but he also had a pass when the Denver team basically entirely focused on him where he kicked it to steven adams and the ball just went through Adams' fingers and went out of bounds so you know there is a line where he will pass it it's just that it's not often and he's able to pull up basically at full speed so teams don't know exactly where he's going to do that from and then you could think about that last shot they did a perfect job defending that and it just you know they got beat by a 35 footer
0: yeah maybe not perfect but it was really good uh which is rare for denver which is an awful defensive team i i think we can get in shape here for the playoffs a little bit uh, by going through pick up the the play-by-play here uh denver as i mentioned was up by 13 with 433 left uh, on a Emmanuel Moutier layup, and he has played well, actually, since he returned to the rotation as Jameer Nelson has struggled with a calf injury. And that's when the impossible, the amazing happened. I had no idea that fans, like, cared so much about seeing this triple-double record, but I guess ESPN has been hyping it up enough that all the fans were aware of it. I mean, in Phoenix, where they were deliberately fouling to prevent uh, the triple-double from happening, and then here, uh, the fans were really fired up. And uh, so... Wilson Chandler as he should have didn't guard Samaji Kristen who's 10 out of 58 on three pointers Russ went downhill made the right pass to the corner and Kristen was as wide open as you'll ever be to uh hit a three-pointer I mean it's pretty hilarious that you know who knows how long his future in the league will be but uh the one highlight that he will be shown in forever is him hitting a three-pointer and that's like the skill that's like preventing him from being good in the league it
1: it is pretty amazing and as much as you might want to say oh don't help off the strong side corner when a guy's making 17.2 percent of his threes it's not entirely the same thing and now Chandler's help will also be on that highlight as much as it's shown though I don't think especially considering it wasn't even the definitive highlight of the last five minutes of this game I don't think that's going to be you know the Hank Aaron home run or anything crazy like that it won't be the the moment that lives in in infamy for those for for Chandler or you know the legacy shot for Samadji Kristen
0: yeah so so that made it 101 to 91 a, after that three and and the fans obviously were very fired up the OKC broadcast crew uh was very fired up saying that he basically had cemented his uh his patch of the Hall of Fame which i think frankly like if he just keeps this up another year or two he's there anyway so it doesn't matter uh but really what they were doing we don't have to go through every play but it was basically Russell Westbrook Stephen Adams pick and roll and it just Jokic No chance at all, really, uh, of contesting Westbrook at the rim or getting out on the floor. And so Westbrook had a couple of plays where he just was able to drive right by Jokic. Westbrook is not the greatest finisher at the rim when there's actually a contest, but Jokic not really able to provide that, get his body in front. And lest we take a little bit too much away from OKC and just say, oh, they're just give it to Westbrook. They're not doing anything. There are a couple of strategic elements. Uh, Number one is that Billy Donovan is very comfortable going with a very defensive oriented lineup down the stretch of these games and as we noted when we talked about OKC's clutch performance their clutch defense was really good and part of that is just that Westbrook can create his own shot at any time and so you can get away with Steven Adams, Jeremy Grant, Kyle Singler and this one instead of Robertson who looks like he might still be struggling a little bit with with that knee injury. Singler actually hit a couple of shots in the first half but he's not really a threat and and Samajin Kristen or, or Victor Oladipo I mean there's no shooting in that lineup it's not a good offensive lineup up and yet they're able to stop people and then just trust russ to score on the other end
1: it certainly helps when as happened at one point in this game the opposing team sends a couple guys to the offensive glass and then opens the opens the floodgates for for russ in transition which denver did and he had that beautiful euro step i think that was around gallinari
0: yeah that that was really nice uh again i mean denver just had nobody who could possibly provide any help defense i was going to make russ feel them And, and russ overall had 50 points i think 15 boards and 10 Assists in this one, his third 50 point triple double of the season. And the other thing that we really can talk about too, in terms of like some of the strategy that's been done, I mean, it's definitely like very blunt force, but there are some subtleties to it. One is just they run the ball down your throat, even when they're down, even when it's in clutch time. A lot of teams like to just slow the pace down, make sure that they get something. You know, they're trying to beat you down the floor. Another one too is that they have had deploy some subtle actions. I'm not sure whether this is Donovan or just something that's happening naturally, but screening the help for example on one play late I think it was the one where Jokic picked up the flagrant foul Russ just drove past uh, Gary Harris who was guarding him and Adams saw that that was happening and then just turned around and screened his own man Jokic to prevent him from getting into help position and then that's how Russ was able to get past Jokic and Jokic had to commit uh, the flagrant foul Uh, on another play it was the same type of thing where uh, they Victor Oladipo screened Jokic as the the pick and roll was occurring so he again was late getting there Uh, so there were some things that they're doing other than just hey Russ go get us a bucket what did you think of the flagrant foul call on Jokic that of course was a key play
1: I think that the league can do a better job of emphasizing things that are basically an unnatural risk to the guy I don't like it when somebody is is committing contact with somebody who's already in the air and who doesn't really have a shot a chance of affecting the shot like he kind of it wasn't much Contact, but it was body contact that wasn't really. I mean, gave him, the he shot. gave him
0: a forearm to the chest and was yeah. clearly intentionally trying to foul him uh, to stop the play. And then he picked up a technical after that the technical, as well, I think, just w- for without, arguing it.
1: Without knowing the full context, it's always hard to argue technicals because there's an element generally it's audio that we don't get to experience. But I think that when you give a guy a flagrant in that context, it might be a little bit much to give the technical to. But I am that we talk about how there are some elements of player safety. Safety that the nba has not done a good job of for me that's moving the cameramen back a few other things but you know the block yeah, charges. is block another charge, yeah. one but but i'm good with taking a renewed emphasis on not fouling a guy in the air when you're not making a play on the ball i'm totally fine with discouraging that conduct
0: yeah i think so and what they always complain about is oh the guy fell down hard you made the call he didn't really fall down that hard but it was really the contact that was dangerous contact that really could have just sent him flying into the cameras you know and also just the fact that it was like the standard is unnecessary contact and that's what that was you know there really was no play there to legitimately stop him that's one where you want to encourage players to just let the guy go instead of like injuring him you know that that's uh so Russ makes all three free throws there uh I mean it's it was surprising I mean he was only one out of four on threes during this this last period uh but did go six of six from the line one thing I noticed uh you know he had the 15 points on the end it seems like in all of these crazy comebacks There always ends up being a three shot foul that ends up being really important, and you can say, "All right, you know, don't foul." (laughs) Uh, That's a a really good idea, but also it's uh, impressive that Russ was able to make all of his free throws. He actually—I mean, I don't remember hardly any clutch free throws that he's missed in his career. I think he's an excellent clutch free throw shooter. Just you know by my subjective recollection there
1: yeah that's a good point point. and uh, do you want a, a crazy stat that I just looked up because I thought of it and felt like sharing yes there have been five 50 point triple doubles this year three by Westbrook two by Harden counting it since 83 84 because I think that's just the way basketball reference does it there had been zero of those in NBA in, in those years before now and there had only been six 45 point or more so basically between 45 and 50 triple doubles and there have been seven of those this year so there have been more of those this year than had existed in the other one since 83 84
0: what did you think of like denver's offense late in this game because to me i didn't think it was that bad but okc was successful switching they took a couple of shots a little bit quicker but i didn't think it was like so bad you know they had a couple of gallo had a couple of bad turnovers he actually had 34 20 in the third quarter and then failed to score in the fourth uh but you know i think they they got some penetration they're trying to run the clock down i didn't think it was that bad i thought okc just deed them up pretty well It
1: was fine. I I thought that, you know, even on the play where Gallinari had to basically chuck it to avoid a shot clock violation, that was good defense by Oklahoma City to to prevent them from what they wanted to do in the first place. So I don't begrudge that necessarily as being bad offense. And yeah, a couple times they went a little bit bit earlier than, you know, could have been, could have been. I actually think that, you know, it was kind of a weird, their last possession was a little bit disjointed. But overall, I thought they were fine. Like this was not, this was not a situation of Denver's offense losing them the game.
0: Yeah, it really was. Again, very good game management. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess they only had four points in the in the last five minutes, so you could say that. But it, it wasn't like it wasn't one of these ones where like okay, all they were doing was just running it down and ice wing. But it, it was tough for them because Oklahoma City was switching a lot of stuff, and, and Denver has a wonderful offense. But guys who can just go one on one is something that they are not necessarily a wash in. And that's um,
1: something to watch because now yeah. that we know who they're facing in the playoffs, if if they switch a lot against Houston, the Houston is very limited in terms of uh, unless they're gonna play Lou Williams in crunch time of guys that can create one-on-one.
0: Yeah, I mean it'll probably just be harden it every time you would think. Uh so after Wilson Chandler was called for an offensive foul, which I thought was not actually that bad Oladipo took the charge. And to his credit, I mean he was looked like he was really laboring out there. After he had taken a charge on Gallo in the third quarter, he got kneed right in the chest and he actually took or tried to take two more charges l- late in this game. Uh so it, good by him I mean he really didn't you could tell he didn't have the juice off the dribble he wasn't moving well I think as a result of that but uh nonetheless he took that charge and with 29.4 seconds left OKC did a great job of getting the two for one they ran an out-of-bounds play with a zipper cut Uh, it actually went to Russell Westbrook surprisingly enough and he curled off the screen and then just went right at Nikola Jokic I I think if you're Denver there it I really, again, we have seen a ton of teams. The only team really that has tried to take the ball out of Russ's hands late and that succeeded uh, was San Antonio in that game in in the last couple of weeks you know, they didn't really react to Russ. He got ahead of his team and just blew past Jokic and he scored in 2.3 seconds. So they got the two for one. And while Denver did a nice job of running it down, they got a Jamal Murray drive. He tried to dish it to Jokic who couldn't handle the pass. And then uh, Jokic missed a floater after retrieving the loose ball in the corner. Westbrook got the rebound and they got a timeout uh, with 2.3 left. And you know that was another play where they had switched everything uh murray did a nice job to get penetration against steven adams but they just couldn't couldn't convert and uh, oladipo again did a great job of stepping up for a potential charge forcing jokic to miss his floater which he usually is pretty money at
1: so then that set up the situation i think it was about 2.9 seconds that's what i remember it's what's in my head about about that and since the thunder had a timeout left they were able to advance the ball and it looked like denver was actually one of their goals was trying to not get west well not allowed russell westbrook to get a shot in a reasonable range and they succeeded at that part of it
0: yeah i mean i i would have even like tried to react to him even more but the strategy that they had was to switch everything and the play design was pretty nice they started westbrook up top and they basically ran three guys in a wheel pattern around stephen adams that brought westbrook all the way down to the baseline and then he did a zipper cut again up to the top jamal murray uh, switched on to him expertly and actually forced him so far out towards half court that if they would have inbounded it to him directly he probably wouldn't have even been able to get into shooting range in time because uh, he was basically almost running into the backcourt so they did a nice job to throw it into Stephen Adams. Russ, great movement off the ball, shook Murray just enough, and then uh, Mason Plumlee, who was guarding Adams, didn't quite have the awareness of how much time remained uh, because he was trying to sort of meet Westbrook closer to the three point arc. If he had been up in Stephen Adams' grill, then maybe on the on the handoff he could have reacted to Russ or just left Adams completely and just let Adams shoot a you know a thirty footer himself uh, to try for the win but Russ was able to get open, uh, quick jab cut went to his left and incredibly made the shot it was listed as a 36 footer uh, on the play-by-play and in his ability to just rise up the power in his legs he shoot that shoots that ball really easy from that far out and while you know, he's never going to be a knockdown shooter his ability to get a shot off at any time when he's hot is something that is really uh, just about nobody else in the league is able to do that
1: this is a small you could argue trivial point but i personally enjoyed that after having a chance to set the triple double record in the game against the suns i personally enjoyed that russ did it in a representative performance and he put a much larger stage on this game when it you know it didn't at the moment he got that pass to Samaje, it didn't necessarily look like it was going to be that game but it turned into it and it created an overall moment and while i personally feel that the mvp and we can't talk about you know what what the voters are going to do because it's hard for us to know unless we have connections that i don't think at least i do that he was able to put that all together in a moment. And while you want people to be on your side of it for the whole time, if this is what gets people on board, hey,
0: I'm fine. Yeah, and I mean, the amazing thing was he's done this so many times this year now that you expected that they could make a run uh by ramping up the intensity he also ramped up the intensity and in de- on defense uh he is an excellent switcher that's part of why uh that strategy works pretty well i mean he's not he doesn't have the greatest attention over the course of a full game but down the end especially against you know when you're not facing like a golden state or something uh he actually can be pretty effective because he has enough strength to hold up against uh bigger players so got a little bit of pushback on twitter lately on our MVP pod saying that we shouldn't put any emphasis on Westbrook's clutch performance because that clutch performance is pretty random. And yeah, and we said as much on the show that if you're trying to determine who the better player is and you're also trying to determine what their performance is going to be going forward, you would definitely want to de-emphasize the small sample size of, of clutch performance. But this actually happened, right? And, and then other people were like, oh, well, you know, what about like if you scored 10 points in a row earlier in the game and then, you know, that put the game out of reach and then it never even got close. Like, shouldn't that get e- equal weight to clutch performance? And the answer to that is no. It doesn't add as much value because you're taking a situation where your team is, say, it's tied in the second quarter and you go on a 10-point run your team has a 50% win expectancy there, maybe more if you're a good team. And now you're moving that up to, you know, I mean, you're not, it's not gonna be 100%, but to, you know, increasing your win expectancy by whatever it is. Russ is doing this in situations where their win expectancy is like 2%, 3%, 5% in a lot of these games and, or maybe more than that, but certainly they're down and he's leading incredible comebacks completely on his own. So you're adding much more in terms of your chances of winning the game when you're having a clutch performance like this at the end i mean that shot that he made that took them from you know probably like a 15 percent win expectancy probably even less than that because they're only down two to winning the game you know that's like you just boosted your chances of winning the game by 85 percent. and i'm eyeballing these numbers but yeah it means more in the clutch now it doesn't mean more necessarily going forward uh, although you could make the argument too that they really kind of have a system here that all of these games fall into a pattern where he just goes into a frenzy offensive attack. They throw as much defense on the floor as they can. We've made the point that we think a lot of comebacks really start with defense more than they do offense. And this kind of allows that formula to happen. So maybe there is something a little bit more repeatable about just the way that he's doing this than just you know hitting a a bunch of buzzer beaters would cause it's over a longer period of time. Nonetheless, I, I don't think you'll be able to repeat this over next season, for example but this did happen it did add wins it is value it's the most valuable player it's not the best player that's why we have focused on that and remember this is also just a tiebreaker it's not you know oh he had this close performance and you know he didn't play as well i mean it's everyone is saying it's too close to call among those four guys and so i think this is a reasonable tiebreaker
1: sometimes i get frustrated when your piece gets to the point i was going to make right at the very end because i was just going to talk about the idea (laughs) of of best player versus most valuable if the word was player of the year that would certainly matter like it would be a factor but value is a very specific proposition and while it is somewhat a nebulous term win expectancy is a good way of putting it because it is a tangible impact and also people talk about oh you know getting 10 points that to help seal the game usually that team was going to win that game in the first place if they can lock it up in the third quarter that's not changing a loss to a win that's doing something that's you know making a probable win into a definite win and that is a notable accomplishment i mean that's something that we have talked about in prior years in terms of stephen curry and and other things but what russ is doing is entirely different i mean this was a game and so was the one against the magic where they were were down double digits inside the last five minutes and the even against and so is teams. the one
0: against the mavericks i mean they, yeah they, and those two they, against they against, against like, the
1: uh, magic and nuggets both of those were on the road i can't remember if the game against the Ma- mavericks was too
0: i think that was an okay yeah season. and there there was one against the lakers earlier where they were down 10 and, and they ended up losing on the road but they're down 10 he brought him back to tied five minutes left in the game as well um CJ McCollum had a good tweet. Thanks, Russ. You the real MVP (laughs) because uh, beating Denver put Portland in the playoffs. A few other notes on this one and and I'm sure we'll talk more about Denver and where they go from here in the future now that they're out of it. But uh, Mason Plumlee had some okay defensive moments in this one uh, against Ennis Cancer, but on the defensive glass, they got abused when he was out there. He just is trying to do way too much still. He's emboldened by this whole put the ball in his hands, and now he can have some assists. He tries to drive in. They try to throw it to him in the post on switches. He's completely ineffective there. He'll turn it over a lot. Uh, He is a really bad finisher, uh, which was a major problem in the third quarter as well. So it just we've talked about this before, but I just I don't think that as a major player is the answer. I mean, if he wants to be if they can sign him for like backup center money. Yeah, bring him back. But if they're going to overpay him, you know, they're going to pay him well into eight figures per season uh, at age 27 when he's only going to be on the downslope. His finishing is only going to get worse as his explosion declines. His defense is only going to get worse. Uh, I'm not into it, uh, frankly. Oh,
1: I thought of this during the game, and I just think it's. It's a little bit salty, but at the same point I wanted to ask you the question and blindsiding is way more fun than asking it the way I was going to before. Let's take out the 2016-17 salary out of the equation just cuz that's a little makes it a little too complicated. Moving forward, would you would you say that so like at this moment if you were allowed to make trades, would you rather have Ennis Canner or Mason Plumley in terms of trade value?
0: Oh, Cancer, I think pretty easily, especially because like Cancer as a backup, you can get away with him.
1: That's what I was thinking about as well just in terms of the talent evaluation part of the nuggets trade i'm not saying that was on the table obviously it probably wasn't sure but the idea of mason plumley being this guy was such a strange concept because if he is that guy then you're gonna have to pay him and you don't have a spot for him and he's not that guy in the first place so yeah uh, we're 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 the horse has been dead a long time but still
0: All right, we'll get to that crazy Cleveland-Atlanta game in which uh, the Cavs blew a 26-point lead in the fourth quarter momentarily. But first, this from our old friends at Indochino. I worked as a lawyer for a long time. When we went to court, we, we had to wear suits. And I wish I had known about Indochino back then because my entire wardrobe would have been Indochino. Instead, you know, when I was just like first out of law school, I was going to like men's warehouse. Then I went to like some nicer department stores. And, you know, eventually at one point I got a made to measure suit that was like well over a thousand dollars throw in all the tailoring costs of the department store. I was getting pretty close to that for some of my suits as well. God, what a waste of money that was (laughs) because Indochino can give you a made-to-measure suit using the cap space code, of course, for just $389. And frankly, they did a better job of fitting me than this custom place that I went to in San Francisco. You can go into one of their North American showrooms, Or you can measure yourself. There's a tutorial of how to do the 14 different measurements on their website. Send it in. And three to four weeks later, you get a premium suit that's yours. Hundreds of fabrics, hundreds of patterns. You can customize the lapels, the pleats, the jacket linings. Get it monogrammed if you want to. And when it arrives, it'll fit you perfectly. So kind of crazy that I have all these dollars sitting in my wardrobe. And the two suits that I like to wear the most are my Indochino suits. So the way to get started with them, again, use that Capspace code at Indochino.com. Get any premium suit for just $389 with free shipping. And you never have to worry about badly fitting suits or expensive trips to the tailor. Again, get ready to look like a million bucks at Indochino.com, promo code Capspace. So this game for three quarters went absolutely according to script until it did.
1: It was 93 67 at the end of the third quarter. And what was striking to me about this, beyond the haywire officiating, which I'm sure we'll talk about, was usually when a team has a comeback of this scale you think of the idea that really everything went right for them you know the other team missed shots they almost always make and they were just hitting i had the same
0: observation yeah they were
1: unconscious they were unconscious or something like that that is not what this game was like this was i mean the hawks played well and the Cavs did miss some things there but this was not the best of times the worst of times this was an entirely different thing and i was just i was dumbfounded by it considering how great cleveland looked earlier on
0: before we get it, well, actually, we can talk about this at the end, like where, how we see Cleveland after these latest foibles here, but – how did this happen? Well, Mike Dunleavy killed Kyle Korver defensively. Dunleavy had a bunch of quick points, uh, came off screens. Korver committed a three-shot foul. He just lost Korver, even though there wasn't any contact on the screen for another three. He went back door on a couple times. One time he got a layup. Another time he set up a a corner three uh, by Mike Muscala. Mike Muscala caused big problems for Kevin Love, who was playing at center. Love, Generally, when he plays with Tristan Thompson, will guard the other team's center, and Thompson will guard whoever can shoot on the floor. Muscala just hung out in the corners, and Love, always a mediocre help defender to begin with, wasn't able to get there as well, not to mention getting out to the corner on some of these Muscala threes. Uh, And then LeBron James really had, he's been fantastic in clutch games all this year. I mean, Cleveland, another team that's really outperformed their point differential as well and he just had some really weird brain farts uh, pretty late in this game
1: yeah the lo- the last couple minutes i think were a closer a closer to the description that i said of a standard kind of blowing a game late there were a few plays where cleveland just just didn't really do much offensively. And then LeBron, it was two turnovers towards the end of regulation, right?
0: Yeah. So, and that was sandwiched around following Paul Millsap on a three and he made all three free throws, uh, as well, which was a, a clear foul by LeBron. There was, uh, I mean, the crazy thing about this: not only was there a twenty-six point lead, the cat, the Hawks got it back within like thirteen, and then Kyrie Irving hit a ridiculous three from like twenty-eight feet, and they were up one oh five to eighty-eight with under six minutes remaining in the game. I mean, it's just we've seen so many of these absolutely statistically unlikely comebacks lately. I mean, I think coming back from seventeen down with under six minutes left is even more impressive than the twenty-six down at the start of the fourth, and they were just were all kind of. Men- mistakes like Iman Shumpert followed Malcolm Delaney like just running down court for one reason uh they just ran totally mediocre offense running the shot clock down and then going into their small small pick and rolls with you know eight on the shot clock and then that didn't leave enough time really if they did get the switch for the guy to really attack very much uh so so the offense just was really bad really simple uh the hawks had no trouble stopping it paul Millsap did a great job defensively he also really hurt lebron james offensively and then finally though it still looked like there wasn't going to be a problem for cleveland and then they had a five second violation uh after they advanced the ball uh and they still had timeouts left lebron was the inbounder did not call a timeout as he was in his 44th minute and uh, the hawks did a nice strategy it looked like they were going to get Kyrie irving open and then they actually had Bazemore, who was guarding LeBron, go and take Irving coming towards the ball. And then they had Irving's man switch onto LeBron and try to get into his vision. So you weren't, you're not leaving the inbounder open as much. Uh, so you're almost adding like another switch element in where the guy guarding the inbounder can also switch onto someone. And that's how they forced that five second violation, which the Cavs said it was really fast. Uh, it was not. I counted it. It seemed like it was a, pr- a pretty good uh, five seconds there.
1: And then there was also the issue of the that was on a, on a different play, but of the, the I'm, I'm trying to think of all the elements that have made Cleveland agree, Cleveland fans aggrieved about the officiating in this game because the the play well, where yeah. the jump ball. Le- well, well, let's six-
0: get to that. We'll we'll go yeah. we'll go in order because there's okay. a, a few other things. Sure. So then, uh, down four, the Hawks go for the quick two. Tim Hardaway Jr., who uh, had a nice game, uh, w- was effective running pick and roll, especially in overtime. Uh, LeBron just shoves him in the hip on the drive pretty clear foul uh and then we, we mentioned how you know it wasn't like the hawks were lights out like paul Millsap missed a layup with like three minutes left Bazemore had a wide open corner three under a minute left that he missed hardaway missed one of these two free throws and irving then got fouled in the inbounds they actually made both free throws they're up five with 10.4 seconds left and then they inbound to Millsap in the corner and lebron is right there and just fouls Millsap on the elbow he makes all three all three free throws and then there was uh this uh, again another example in the one of these. These comebacks of like a bad three shot follow being critical he makes all three it's a two-point game and then at that point atlanta is going to be in trouble there's only like six seven seconds left i think they had one time out left maybe and Uh, they just forced a jump ball in the corner and it was actually again LeBron's fault because they ran a nice action off of the inbounds Kyrie started all the way up at the free throw line extended on the far side of the court sprinted off a screen got going he had the advantage and then LeBron threw the pass like way too far into the corner Kyrie had to change direction go get it and then he, he, he got tied up in the corner one of LeBron's complaints was that he tried to call timeout as soon as that happened and that Leroy Richardson the official didn't recognize it in time and then gave what lebron thought was a ridiculous explanation which was basically you know i I couldn't tell who had possession but if you actually look at the replay when LeBron turns to him and signals for timeout, Richardson is already like kind of got it craning his neck down to try and see along the baseline, whether there is a tie up situation or not. So I, it was completely understandable to me that he wouldn't want to give a tie up when he couldn't be, or they wouldn't want to give a timeout when he couldn't be sure whether the tie up had already occurred. I have no
1: problem with that. Exactly. You know, you don't, you don't want to be overly, you don't want to be overly touchy and give give away a timeout when Possession. I mean, I can remember off. Not I can't yeah, remember. And, like, and also,
0: I don't want to bail someone out with a timeout. Like you better damn be be damn clear that you got that timeout in.
1: Sure. Absolutely. And also another so that ended up with ended up being called a tie up and their fans were up in arms about that, that both Millsap and Basemore were out of bounds. There is a a picture of it. One of the challenges with a tie up and all that situation is I'm not saying the call was correct. I I need I would need to see a different angle from what we saw. Not saying that at all. But when a tie up is called is very is, is, is the important part, like basically when it is identified, not where they are kind of as as it gets whistled, just like a lot of other things where circumstances can change after the initial call
0: yeah and it's not even clear in that photo you know whether the whistle had blown already or not but yeah you're right i mean it's as someone who's refereed at a low level before you know it's the same thing as like when you're breaking a car when you see something come into your path there's going to be a reaction time but you know generally when you're caught when the tie-up has occurred could be earlier than that so it's uh difficult to to say I mean probably it was a, a missed call there but you know probably, again yeah. this was the, the reason that happened was because they failed to execute like time and time again and specifically on that play LeBron failed to execute he just threw a really bad pass so uh, you know I, I think when you're the one who put yourself into that situation to begin with like with a specific bad play you know I'm not as receptive to like that kind of complaining uh Agreed. and then so the, the uh the jump ball between Irving and Bazemore no one really Really got the tip it kind of just fell next to him and Mike Muscala who had a wonderful game he it was this was like a true 50-50 ball beat Kevin Love to it uh and then was able to get it to Millsap and Millsap hit a sweet fadeaway almost behind the backboard on the right baseline to send it in overtime we should probably talk too about you know what the Hawks lineup was here down, down the end of the game uh because two of their stalwarts of course were not involved
1: yeah I mean so Millsap was was of course the one, the one who was involved, but Kent Bazemore was was an interesting I, I I think I think that his defensive role like should these teams I don't think they're going to play in the playoffs this year because the Hawks actually might have made ensured that that won't happen by actually winning this game Tim Hardaway was strong and right now and and so Dunleavy was yeah, on the floor no, for that no Howard stretch.
0: and no Schroeder though right uh, was, was what I was uh, alluding to there yeah
1: right and both those guys didn't play in either in in that stretch or in the because I mean the Hawks gets lost a little bit in the shuffle they won back-to-back games against the Cavs
0: yeah that's right on Friday they spent a complete skeleton crew didn't bring any of their starters and they beat the Cavs with the Cavs playing at home with their full contingent after everyone was like oh yeah they killed the Celtics so they're fine now
1: yeah and then Schroeder and Howard to be clear they did play in this game they just didn't play in this stretch
0: right right and really the only starter that they brought back was Millsap uh down the end there was more controversy though First, uh, Millsap, quote-unquote, fouled LeBron as Cleveland went to a nice ATO that they like a lot, leading Gainesville will throw it to Kevin Love at the elbow, and then have Irving set a back screen for LeBron, and, and Love threw a great bounce pass to LeBron. LeBron missed the layups. He missed several layups in the fourth quarter in overtime uh, that were you know plays that you would expect him to make normally, uh, but Millsap was called for a foul. He didn't touch him, and then the next time down, lebron got called for pushing milsap in the back uh going for an offensive rebound that again was also a pretty dubious call and you know i'm not a big fan of that but at least that one you know it looked like it prevented Millsap if there had actually been a push <laughs> from uh from getting it there just wasn't a push so it seemed like it wasn't one of those ones where it's like oh it bounces to the other side of the floor and you're gonna call the the loose ball foul anyway yeah, like I, they do in college
1: it's it's a bad call but it, it's a reminder also of why you know the the accumulation of stuff matters because if lebron hadn't picked up that first of all if lebron hadn't picked up that fifth foul on milsap shooting a three the game wouldn't have gone to overtime in the first place but second of all he would have had an extra foul so that if the refs blew that call he would have still stayed in the game
0: So with LeBron, yeah, and LeBron, I think, had another kind of weird foul to it in the fourth quarter. His fourth, yeah. Yeah, yeah. With LeBron out, Cleveland still led it by three. It took Atlanta almost three minutes into the overtime to even score, and they finally did, uh, but then it really, like, was back and forth. They got a three for Korver out of a timeout. Uh, Malcolm Delaney got knocked down by Richard Jefferson on what looked like a pretty clean screen to me. Uh, and then Bud, instead of going back to Schroeder or Jose Calderon, just went with no point guard at all, had Tim Hardaway start working in pick and roll. And Hardo was able to set up a three in the corner by Moscala, who, again, did a great job of relocating. The pass was not on target. Uh, and he, again, was kind of behind the backboard. Uh, Kyrie Irving, of course, uh, was burned repeatedly in pick and roll defense uh, on a lot of these plays. Uh, and then there were also two very controversial charge plays. One, Love was called for a charge and then that was overturned because the man was in the restricted area i think it was it was milsap and they ruled that the play didn't start in the lower defensive box i agreed with, with that overturn and then Kyrie, when they're down by three uh decides that he with 30 seconds left gets a wide open three and pick and roll gives it up goes to the rim makes the bucket and milsap was gifted an absolutely ridiculous charge when irving had picked the ball up milsap was like two slides away from where he eventually finished and just just a garbage call like one of the worst charges of the year i I say that every day but (laughs) and
1: people like one of the most frustrating parts about this is the idea sometimes people look at different parts of it they're like oh he was set when the contact occurred that is not the threshold for whether it is a charge or not he was like in this case in particular he first of all he wasn't set when the contact occurred he was still moving second of all when as you said when Kyrie got when Kyrie gathered he was miles away from from where the contact occurred
0: yeah i mean like it's just you have no chance to avoid the charge in that play if, if you're irving because like the guy isn't in front of you when you make the decision that you're going to take off like how are you supposed to avoid that it's why it's such a ridiculous rule um all right anything uh, anything else in this game or can we what? talk a little bit more just about what how we feel about cleveland now
1: there was also a botched inbound that ended up being important i think love was trying to throw it to Kyrie and just missed him and it was a little oh bit yeah too, he just, was... and
0: then Baysmore basemore almost missed a wide open layup too uh, after that one it yeah that was that was the out. play that was the play right before Kyrie passed up the three and, and got the charge that's right yeah.
1: right but no that was all I wanted to say
0: uh this may sound odd after like another disaster by the Cavs and now you know they're looking like getting the number one seed it could be kind of difficult depending on what happens in this Miami game that it's got to be killing Dion Waiters that he's probably not going to play in but uh Nonetheless, they've shown enough of a ceiling even over these last two weeks still. I mean, this blowout of Atlanta in the first three quarters, what they did to Boston last Wednesday, that while you do worry about their consistency, especially on defense they still have shown the ceiling to be the cap you know if they were just playing poorly and like playing bad defense but also like the offense couldn't explode and like they really were looking bad that way then I'd be more concerned but I still think they have to be significant favorites in the east playoffs uh, you know just kind of losing concentration blowing a 26 point lead on the road or like just not trying that hard at home against Atlanta I just I, I can't I mean I feel a little worse about them than I did a week ago after that Boston game but not much
1: for selfish reasons I'm a little bit disappointed. That's your take because it's very similar to my own. And Cleveland the ceiling as you said is the most important part of this they've had a couple of good defensive stretches that was a big concern and it would be nice if they did it more often than they have and I'm still a little bit concerned about making sure they're 100% for the playoffs I think that'll be fine but we just kind of need to keep an eye on it but the bigger issue and I've talked about this before with both them and the Warriors is that while the teams around them are good and they're better than they were last year I mean obviously not the Spurs in the Warriors case but anyway I'm not sure they're specifically better to face the favor and if Boston is really, a, uh, their offense runs around one guy. Washington relies a lot on John Wall for their shot creation. They have other guys, but a lot of them are dependent talents. And then Toronto, we just haven't really seen it very much. They're, you know, and they've had so much trouble with the Cavs in the past. So Cleveland is weaker. The opponents are stronger, but the the threshold is enough. And I don't think opponents are stronger enough and the Cavs are weaker enough for me to really start to fret that they're going to be the, the finalist. It, it's possible. It's always possible, but I don't think it's likely right now.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about uh, Damian Lillard's 59 point game that, that I saw in person on Saturday night. Have I mentioned I was there by the way uh <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it's not it's not making me bitter at all not not at all
0: well you got to see that rousing warriors pelicans game ah
1: uh, it's my job i i i I, I, uh, I understood the risk that I was undertaking and you know that was we'll talk we'll talk about Durant probably tomorrow I guess
0: well at least you got to eat uh at a furry before we left because that's where we had we had lunch uh on Saturday so you didn't you didn't miss out on, on a new Portland
1: uh, I missed I missed Portland out on 13. getting that that amazing broth the second time. Oh, man.
0: Uh, In any event, it was really an incredibly remarkable performance for Lillard. He had 26 in the first quarter, zero in the second quarter. Now, granted, he usually sits for the first three, for the first six minutes or so of the second quarter. Then he had a further 20, I think, in the third quarter. And then he played the entire fourth as well. And they, by the end, they were just running pick and rolls with him every single time. And Poor Shelvin Mack and Dante Exum just had nothing for him. Like Exum early on just wasn't strong enough. Dame was actually like getting to his spot and then exploding through him for layups at times. Shelvin Mack is just way too slow to even think about keeping up with Lord. Going under was not an option for this one with Dame. And then they put whole Neto on him. And Neto actually was plus 13 in pretty short minutes and actually started the second half because he was so good defensively. And then he sprained his ankle two minutes into the half uh, after playing some great defense on Lillard. At times, Lillard still just hit like a ridiculous fadeaway step back three from the right corner over him. But he was doing a great job at keeping him out of the middle and competing, getting over the screens, Uh, quick feet, You know, despite being not your typical physical profile for a good defensive point guard. I think he's actually really good, and he has been since he came over. Um, So that's a loss for the Jazz. But back to Lillard, he ultimately scored 59 of their 101 points Points, which is absolutely ridiculous i was a little disappointed in the portland crowd actually i thought the crowd was better in that that game we were at on thursday against the wolves because they they didn't give him like any kind of standing ovation until he hit like yet another ridiculous step back three in the fourth quarter and got followed and then he had to like exhort them to all to stand up before they, they finally did but then they were good after that for like the last two minutes it was just a, a little bit of an odd vibe uh, on a Saturday night but it showed me why the people who are like oh like they should move Dame and like build around CJ instead like CJ just doesn't have that level of explosiveness and not only from a scoring standpoint but Dame just gets downhill so quickly that he just forces help and then he opens up everything else in the offense whereas CJ he works to his spots he's got some moves but a lot of times it's a step back mid-ranger which he can make at a higher rate than nearly anyone in the league but he's not drawing help to where he can really make you change your scheme that much make you double team the ball open things up for everyone else but it, it was just it was a weird game because the Blazers shot terribly Nobody else had more than 12 points. CJ was four out of 20. And yet Dame was just absolutely on fire. And a big issue for the Jazz, the Blazers only turned it over three times. The Blazers have been doing a good job not turning it over. But the Jazz good defense is really undone by the fact that they are not forcing turnovers very much. You're always going to have a ceiling on your defense if you don't force turnovers, Um Moren just Derek Favors looked okay offensively, not as good defensively. He did not play a single minute with Rudy Gobert, uh, so I don't know whether those guys are going to start together. Boris Diaw looked awful; just was not able to get a rebound, was not able to defend. I really just think that they should just be starting Favors. And granted, Favors you know is, is injured and and is coming off the bench, so that may not have been possible. But in the playoffs, I think they really need to start him and then just not even really play Boris at all go with the joe johnson or joe ingles gordon hayward at the four uh alec burks continues to really struggle like if george hill doesn't come back they're going to be in big big trouble especially with Neto out now so a little bit of a disheartening loss for the jazz but they were on the second end of a of a back-to-back they didn't get in until really late the day before. They had just beaten the Wolves the, the night before in what had been a hard game. So maybe just part of their lack of juice was just uh, the fact that the schedule was catching up to them a little bit. My,
1: my concern, and it's been this way for the Jazz, is just that we've seen so little of them at even anything close to full strength. And so they're going to need it against the Clippers because the Clippers are a very good team at, at, when they're at full strength and they have plenty of playoff Clippers experience. Clippers are playing
0: well right now, too. Yeah. So, under the radar.
1: And they're good, the Clippers are very likely going to have home court in that series, so Utah's going to have to sneak at least one at Staples, and that's not the hardest task in the world, but they still will need to actually do it, and... They're going to need George Hill not only just because he's so central to their team, but because they're facing Chris Paul. And if Neto is out, he's been one of their nice stability pieces. Even after I enthusiastically traded for Malcolm Delaney in the mock off season because I thought he would help. And but in the the mock deadline, but I like the Jazz. I still am a believer in their ceiling. I'm just becoming more skeptical that we're going to see it this season.
0: Yeah, and Hood he looked okay too. I mean, I I probably am a little bit too down on the Jazz after this game because favor looked like he was all right hood actually scored pretty well in the second quarter like looked like he he was able to play i I was surprised that snyder never went with burks or hood or hayward at, on lillard but you know i guess he just felt like they needed those guys for offense and, and didn't want to wear them out uh the clippers we mentioned them uh second in the nba in net rating behind the warriors over the last 10 games they've gone 8 and 2 9.9 net rating third actually is the blazers with also a 9.9 net rating although some of that was accomplished with yusuf nurkic the blazers going 8 and 2 really down the street stretchier because i mean they looked they were 11 games under 500 like they looked totally dead at at one point um for portland myers leonard uh, was booed pretty mercilessly uh, actually they probably showed him mercy after a little bit but uh, enough that Marv disgusted on that TNT game on Thursday for missing some threes he came out and hit his first two and that really changed everything Stotts I thought in an inspired decision started Leonard to match up with Rudy Gobert bring him out on the floor and then he also started Noah Vonley and Noah Vonley was fantastic defensively they were switching a lot and the Jazz were only one out of six on field goal attempts where they attempted to ISO on him off of switches and the one that they made even was not like a good shot like he he was great um so leonard i mean i don't think i'm not gonna say that like he's turned some corner after hitting a few shots and he had some ugly moments later in the game but it was enough to really mess up Rudy Gobert a little bit and I think if I were Portland where you got to kind of go with some riskier strategies I might consider assuming Yusuf Nurkic isn't back and it's and we didn't see like Nurkic working out pre-game or anything to where you would think that he's anywhere close to a return which is understandable with that injury I might try Myers Leonard see if he can get some quick buckets early in that matchup against Zaza Pachulia with the Warriors or, or JaVale McGee uh, when Steve Kerr insists on playing center and then you know when once they go with more mobile centers that won't work but you might as well take advantage of the matchup and Kerr's orthodoxy early in those games
1: particularly since david west is not allowed to play in the first and third quarters
0: (laughs) yeah i still think the warriors probably are going to need to start him at some point uh maybe they won't need to because they'll just blow through anyway but have i have i told you my idea with this let's hear it
1: play david west the first four minutes or so so start him each half play him the first four or so minutes then pull him when iguodala comes in go with draymond at center for a few minutes yeah. then go with whoever they want it at center kind of when either when draymond sits or however they want to do it at the end of the quarter javel's actually done a nice job in that spot a couple times recently and then you can still use david West his normal place if you did that and just played him four minutes at the beginning of each half he's still within his range probably beat about like 16 minutes a game there and he's a much better fit not only against portland but theoretically he challenges the clippers in different ways and i think he could challenge the spurs in different ways as well
0: i completely agree with you and he's playing better i mean i understood the idea of like wanting to bring him off the bench ease him in not tax him too much in terms of minutes he's not still he's pretty undersized as a center of the way as the big wingspan uh all right we're we're getting far afield here this game though 59 of their 101 points did remind me of the greatest game i ever saw in person in that regard it was in the 19 1999 ncaa tournament in new orleans where i was going to college at the time wally zerbiak scored 43 of miami ohio's 59 points against washington in in a first round upset and i think they ended up making the sweet 16 that year actually but it was, it was just a completely ridiculous performance. He was so exhausted afterwards. But, I mean, to score 70% of your team's points like that was just completely nuts. Um, let's get to some news here, and then uh, we can uh, call it. A I think we'll talk about the cap implications more on Tuesday, as well as the Nike Hoop Summit, since there aren't that many games that day. But a few other... Uh, Injury type of stuff that we got to get to.
1: It looks like Ryan Anderson is is he he's back basically now. He played a little bit. Yeah,
0: he was six out of six. uh I want to say last night against the Kings. Maybe that was today that they put. I can't remember. He maybe he came back at for whatever was, game I, that he was came yesterday. back. He hit like yeah yeah he hit six out of six on threes so not a concern really as much anymore uh we talked about how with sam decker out it could be a problem but with anderson back that's not as as much of an issue anymore and you know i mean he was hitting like 30 footers these last two games so uh good to see that that he was able to make his return uh matt barnes as soon as they got KD back and again we'll also probably talk about how KD looked uh, at some point before the playoffs as well uh, especially once i get a chance to see him in person uh, but Matt Barnes suffered a foot sprain. X-rays were negative, but he was in a walking boot limping out. Uh, how bad did that look when it happened, Danny?
1: It didn't look too bad, and he is optimistic that he'll be able to play when the playoffs start. Kerr, Kerr was optimistic after the game, so it, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. And you know, you never know, and they're going to be cautious with him just like they are with, with all these sorts of things, but I don't think it's that serious from what we know right now.
0: Uh, Tim McMahon reported that George Hill with that groin issue He's expected to return before the end of the regular season. Uh, Hill, you remember, turned down that extension offer from the Jazz that would have given him basically $88 million in new money over the next three years. So you would imagine that he is going to want to make sure he's fully healthy going into the playoffs, have a good playoff performance, see if he can beat that that extension that he turned down uh rajon rondo has been out the last two he actually had been playing extremely well for the bulls in the absence of Dwayne wade he he was much better off with more shooting around it with uh jerry and grant has been playing in his stead uh and the bulls have uh had some ugly losses to the knicks and nets uh without him i think he played against the knicks but he he had this this wrist injury at that point so nobody really seems to know when he is going to be back Um, also a note on, uh, that Lillard game that I meant to get to, uh, scoring 58% of his team's points was the ninth such percentage of any game in the shot clock era. So that's how ridiculous that game was uh, by Lillard. Uh, And then the Cavs, the Cavs made a transaction as well, waving DeAndre Liggins talk is they may bring back Dante Jones again they waived him at this point so he could maybe get picked up by someone else and still be under contract for them but Liggins actually started earlier in the season and then you know they couldn't hit a shot until they stopped playing him at that point in the absence of J.R. Smith
1: And if memory serves, Ligon's contract is actually very favorable in terms of a team picking him up because he has a team option for next year. But even after the team option, his contract is only lightly guaranteed if my memory is correct. And so that would that's very team friendly because you can go through that. I advocated on Twitter for Charlotte in particular to pick him up. They don't have a free roster spot right now, but they could clear one with just losing one of their guys like Brian Roberts, who is going to be an expiring contract anyway. So you can do it that way. And then you get at least an option for him because those teams that are close to capped out getting somebody at the minimum would be a big help
0: yeah and anybody can claim him too because he is on a minimum contract that for two or less years so right. it's it not like within one of those the minimum ones. exception yeah it's not one of those ones like where they had to use their mid-level exception to give him more than two years and then only teams with, with uh cap space or an exception of longer than two years can claim him. but you know we'll see whether he gets claimed or not i mean it's uh Know he did have uh, that domestic violence incident, so that might be something that teams are a little wary of uh, in certain markets where you don't haven't just won a championship. Uh, Last thing here, uh, Stan Van Gundy, in his third year of a five-year, thirty-five million dollar contract to be both president and coach, is reportedly safe after this disappointing in season that per uh vincent ellis uh, out of detroit uh do you think he should be safe
1: sure i i think that he's done a good job of at this point of kind of finding value and tr- getting getting guys on contracts without giving up much in return and considering they don't have much in the way of cap space that's what they're gonna need so why not and he's a good coach
0: yeah uh, there is some talk that that kind of coach is sort of passed the league by a little bit. But, you know, you would say that Eric Spolster is is from that tree. Thibodeau has not been as effective this year, but obviously was, you know, three years ago in chicago so uh yeah i I think he should probably get another year i think overall his tenure despite the disappointing season uh even from a personnel standpoint it has been a success but yeah i think if it's not working out by the end of next year and it gets to the point where he's demanding an extension and and they haven't really taken a step forward uh to look like they're at least on the path to getting into being a mid-tier east playoff team then they may need to make a move at that point Um, i agree with that yeah all right we done here
1: Yeah, I'll promote a few things. So if you want to hear my thoughts on Durant's return game, I wrote about it for The Athletic. I podcasted about it for Lockdown Warriors. And also I just released Real Jam Radio with Sam Vecini, where we talked about the the NCAA Tournaments effect on the 2017 draft. And then we talked about the Nike Hoop Summit and and the 2018 guys. So it's a mammoth two-hour one. So you can break it off in pieces at various moments. But I I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Yeah, for us, I mean, we're really going to start ramping up the Twitter NBA show. Uh, I'm sure Dane will participate. participate as much as possible but the current plan right now is just about every night that we're not at a Warriors home game we're going to do Twitter NBA show and I'm not sure what form that's going to take what kind of stamina we'll have I don't know if we can do both games and then also do the post game show as well and dunked on that might just be a little bit too much to basically talk continuously for like eight straight hours Uh, but I think at the very least what we'll try and do is the fourth quarter of the early game if it's close and then all of the late game or maybe switch up if the early game is as a juicier matchup or something like that but that's the goal is to do it just about every night that there are playoff games at least do one of those shows uh also do probably do the twitter nba show post game if you just want to only tune in for that if you can't really watch it and sync up so keep, keep your eyes out for those remember you can follow me on Periscope at Nate Duncan MBA or get a notification on the Twitter mobile app. Click on the little bell next to my name. If you go to my profile, you can get notified of when we do live video. Also, don't forget about our sponsors today, Indochino. Use that cap space code to get any premium Indochino suit for just $389. And blue apron, blueapron.com slash cap space is the URL to get you your first three meals free. Talk to y'all tomorrow night. Thanks again to this episode's sponsor, Jay Cole, for Your Eyes Only, a Dreamville film, the Grammy-nominated hip-hop star's second HBO special, which debuted Saturday, April 15th at 10 Eastern, 11 Pacific. This exclusive presentation is a multi-narrative show that combines music performances with intimate interviews documented through Cole's lens. The special showcases songs from his fourth album, as well as revealing footage containing the heartfelt confessions, concerns, and struggles of people in the South. Cole strives to provide a socially conscious platform for those who are most affected by current injustices and champions unique perspectives and shared experiences in the American South. So, again, tune in Saturday, April 15th, 10 Eastern, 11 Pacific, for the premiere of J. Cole, For Your Eyes Only, a Dreamville film exclusively on HBO. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play.